Good morning, everybody. How are you? And then it was December, right? Crazy. Merry Christmas to everybody. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Christmas season is upon us. Thanks for making that last song so fresh. I felt like I was hearing it for the first time. That was beautiful. Um, We had Rock of Ages on Friday night, one of my favorite things to attend. I just love Rock of Ages, and Pastor Dave brought a great message, and uh, just all the people that contributed to uh, that evening, thank you so much. It was wonderful. Um, next week, we're on Psalm 91 today, Psalm 2 next, uh, next weekend, and then Pastor Dave, I'll be preaching Psalm 2 next weekend, and then Pastor Dave will be doing Psalm 143 the following weekend, so I'm really excited about that. I'll be here to listen. Last time Dave preached, I was, uh, my wife and I were in London with our daughter Chelsea, so looking forward to that. And uh, lastly, today was my wife's birthday. I don't know if some of you guys got wind of that or not, but today is her birthday, and um, if you're struggling trying to figure out what to get my wife for her birthday, I, I highly recommend Hershey's with almonds. It, it's just an idea. Go with whatever you have, but if you can't think of anything, definitely get her Hershey's with almonds. I'm sure she would love it, and I can help her out too. Anyway, bad humor on my part. Everybody doing good? What a beautiful weekend. Got out for a nice ride yesterday. It was gorgeous. Um, crazy. Almost 80 degrees yesterday in the middle of December. Who knew? We are in Psalm 91, and I'm going to open up with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Many, if not all of us, know who he is, and I just love his writings and the way that he challenges us to think. So let me open up with C.S. Lewis' quote, and then we're going to read Psalm 91, and then we'll pray. C.S. Lewis writes this quote on the topic, if you will, of, of the Christian, of becoming Christ-like, and the process of sanctification, which is our maturation process of becoming Christ-like. So this is what he says. C.S. Lewis writes, The New Testament talks about Christians being born again. Those are words that it says in the New Testament, to be born again. It talks about them putting on Christ. It talks about Christ being formed in us. It talks about us coming to have the mind of Christ. He continues to say, put right out of your head the idea that these are only fancy ways of saying that Christians are to read what Christ said and then try to carry it out. He says, don't, got to get that out of your head, right? As if somebody who would also read Plato or Marx and listen to what they said or read what they said and try to carry that out. It's far different. The words in the New Testament about these words about becoming like Christ, they mean something more than that. They mean that a real person, Christ, here and now, in the very room where we're in, in the very room where you're alone with God, say in your prayers, is doing things to us, is doing things to you, is doing things to me. It's not a question of a good man who died 2,000 years ago and wrote some stuff that we read. It's a living man, still as much a man as you and I, and still as much God as he was when he created everything. And he really comes and interferes with our life, right, in a good way. He comes and he interferes with your very self, with my very self, killing our old natural self and replacing it with the kind of self that he is. 
So it's not just His words, it's Him coming to us and replacing with the kind of self that He is. At first, it seems only for moments at a time that this happens in our lives when we become a Christian. And then it's for longer periods of time. And then finally, if things go well, turning you and I permanently into a different sort of thing, into new little Christ is how C.S. Lewis likes to say it, or us being more Christ-like. A being which, in its own small way, has the same kind of life as God, which shares in His power, which shares in His joy, which shares in His knowledge and eternity. End of quote. That's what God's doing. It's not just this great story, this great person, this wonderful leader who lived a good life. God is alive today, and He's working in each and every one of us. Oh, that we would trust God, church, while He does that. Oh, that we would trust Him. Arguably for me, this really hits home. It's always a struggle to prepare a message that really hits home for me. I, I'm pretty confident that this will hit home for most everybody here. And we're going to really focus on trusting God in Psalm 91, to trust Him. There's a song out by a band, a worship band called Jesus Culture, and the song is called You Won't Relent. I love this song. And one of the lines in there, the main line, I think the chorus, if that's what you call it, says, you won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. I love that our God is relentless in His pursuit of us. He's relentless. That's amazing to me. He never gives up. He doesn't run out of energy. He's relentless. And He wants all of our heart and he arguably goes to no ends to get it by dying for us. Let's turn to Psalm 91 and read this wonderful, wonderful psalm on the heels of finishing Psalm 90. What another great psalm. And then we're going to pray. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrows that fly by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, for you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High. You have made Him your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. Verse 11, For He will give His angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion, the cobra, young, the young lion, and the serpent will you will trample down. Verse 14, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call on me and I will answer him, says the Lord. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this time of year never becomes routine or stale. 
Lord, we thank you that we can gather often, weekly, and be reminded of your goodness. Lord, we pray that as you challenge us with your word this morning, that we can trust you in new ways. Reveal those areas, Lord, where we are holding back, trusting you. Help us to repent from that, Lord, and to trust you in all things because you are so worthy of our trust. Lord, we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let me give you a summary of Psalm uh, Psalm 91. Both Psalm 90, which we did last week, and Psalm 91 direct our attention to the dwelling place, to the refuge, to the shelter of the Lord God. Both Psalms do that. While Psalm 90... Uh, somewhat focuses on dealing with the difficulties of life, the emphasis on Psalm 91 is dealing with the dangers of life. The anonymous author of Psalm 91 warns about a lot of things. He warns about hidden traps in this psalm, deadly plagues, terrors at night, arrows by day, stumbling over rocks and facing lions and snakes. I'm sure we would all agree that these are not the everyday challenges that we face today in our world. However, in view of recent terrorist attacks, reckless and drunk drivers, exotic new diseases, and Saturday night handgun specials, the contemporary scene may be as dangerous now as it was back then. It could be argued. Psalm 91 reveals that even saints who abide in Christ cannot avoid confronting unknown perils, but they can escape the evil consequences of them. Praise the Lord. Moses... David, Paul, and a host of other servants of God faced great danger in doing and accomplishing God's will. And the Lord saw them through, as we know. However, Hebrews 11 cautions us that others were tortured and martyred, and yet their faith was just as real. But, generally speaking, generally speaking, walking with the Lord does help us to detect and to avoid a great deal of trouble. Always keeping in mind, however, that it is better to suffer in the will of God than to invite trouble by disobeying Him. Can I get an amen for that? Let's take a look. Because if we don't understand this, what I'm saying here, we begin to think of Psalm 91 as our bulletproof psalm. Oh, Psalm 91 says nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. We'll lose sight of that, right? So we've got to understand that. To help us, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to hit a few verses in the New Testament, and then we're going to go back to Psalm 91. 1 Peter's tucked in behind Hebrews and James. 1 Peter chapter 2. Starting at verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. This finds favor. If, for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, what credit is there when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. Verse 21, this is looking at Christ as our example. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, 
who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Verse 23, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But what did he do? He kept trusting God. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Oh, that we may trust the Lord at all times. Difficult, isn't it? So difficult. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. To your left, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. Right before Mark, right after Malachi. Matthew chapter 4, and then we're going to go to uh, chapter 26. Just keeping Psalm 91 in perspective. This is when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Jesus was led up by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. The tempter came up to him and said, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word. Not some words. Every word. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And then what he writes here, what he quotes here, is from Psalm 91. This is from Psalm 91. And we'll, talk, we'll, we'll show that, uh, reveal that again in a second. He will command his angels concerning you, Satan tempts him with. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand it's written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. All these things I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. Go, Satan, it's written. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left, and behold, and I love this, that the angels came and ministered to the Lord. We also see that in Psalm 91 as well. So let's go um, to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Again, just keeping all Psalm 91 in perspective so we don't think it's a bulletproof psalm. This is the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, starting at verse 36. Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here. I'm going to go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and they began to, and began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. So he went and prayed, My father... If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. The cup of judgment, the the dying on the cross for our sins. He was going to take that difficulty on himself. Verse 40, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He says, you know, could you not keep watch with me for an hour? Keep watching and praying so you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Verse 42, he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, my father... If this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. In light of all these verses that we've just read, we must always remember, whatever we're going through, no matter what God can deliver us from, not our will, but His will be done. The outline for Psalm 91 is as follows. We'll put it up and then we'll put it up again after we post the big idea. But Psalm 91 talks about a life of trust. That's a good enough message all by itself, verses 1 through 4. A life of courage in verses 5 through 10. A life of protection and then a life of sanctification. We'll put this back up. I'm going to go to the big idea and then we'll post this back again if you're writing it down. The big idea, 
I couldn't put it any better myself, so I just copied this straight from Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. It's a very well-known verse. It's a very encouraging verse, but arguably one of the toughest verses to live out in our lives, to trust the Lord. My wife and I, I don't want to get into it, we just had so much fun in a car last night after Saturday night service talking about this and why it's so difficult to trust in the Lord. Anyway, so we'll put the, the um, outline back up for those of you who are still taking notes on the outline. Go ahead and put that back up if you will. Thank you. So let's read verses 1 through 4 again. And we're going to start taking this apart. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is He who delivers you from the snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions and you can seek refuge under His wings. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. So, you know, we go to get, let's say we get a job, right? Or we're interviewing at some place and one of the questions we ask is, what's the, what's the benefit package of this job, right? Well, in these verses, there's a benefit package of being a Christian. And let me share those with you. These are generated by the Lord in these verses, starting with verse 1. One of the benefits is we can dwell. We can dwell in the shelter of the Most High God. We get to do that. We can abide in the shadow of the Almighty, also in verse 1. In verse 2, He's our refuge and our fortress. In verse 3, He delivers us from the snare of the trapper and deadly pestilence. In, verses, in verse 4, it says He will cover us. He, we can seek refuge in Him. He is a shield and a bulwark. And a bulwark is one of those arm shields that you put over your arm to protect you. So those are some of the benefits that we get that are generated by our God. What do we do? What do we have to do? So just like at a job, you have a job description. You do these things, these are the benefits you get. What do we do to make these benefits available to us in this psalm, Psalm 91? Let's look. Three things. He who dwells. He who dwells. That's the first thing. In the shelter of the Most High God. The second one, will abide. We dwell and we will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. That's the third thing. Ours is to be a life of dwelling, a life of abiding, and a life of trusting. A life of dwelling, a life of abiding, and a life of trusting. What does it mean to dwell? To dwell means to inhabit or to live in something. God wants us to inhabit and live in Him. And so when it says to dwell in the shelter of the Most High, the word shelter means hiding place. The word shelter means hiding place. We're to inhabit or live in the hiding place of the Most High God. And here's what I think happens. Far too often as Christians, we get this wrong sometimes. We end up exposing that which should be hidden just for God. God wants us to go to Him with lots of things. He wants us to hide in Him, but we expose our stuff to a lot of other things and places and people. But we don't go to the very place that God's provided, that hiding place. It can be argued that the most important part of our life as a believer is the part that only God sees. The hidden part, the hidden life of communion and worship, which is symbolized by the Holy of Holies in the Jewish sanctuary. 
to abide. So, right, that's dwell. To abide means to dwell or inhabit for an extended period of time. As we continue to grow in our faith, we begin to experience the abiding presence of the Lord. And so sometimes it just feels like we dwell and we leave and then we dwell and then we leave, right? This temporary dwelling, then we go back. But then we learn over time as we continue to dwell and learn to trust God and, and learn how He operates, right? And then we, all of a sudden we have this abiding presence that, just, presence that just seems to go with us longer and longer and longer. I'm in that place now. I've known the Lord for 35 years, but I had to visit a few times until it just became more natural for me to have this abiding presence with God all day long. And then to trust is to have not just a confidence, but to rely. I have confidence in the Lord, but God wants us to know we can rely on Him. I'm pretty certain that the sun's going to rise every day. I can rely on that. And so God wants us to know that we can rely upon Him for anything and everything. And essentially, it's what we call faith. Trusting is what we call faith. Why is faith important? Well, Hebrews 11.6 tells us why faith is important. Because without it, we can't please who? God. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Without trusting in Him, without having faith in Him, we will not be pleasing to Him. Imagine, imagine if you or I were God. Let's just pretend for, for argument's sake that I'm God, okay? I'm not. Don't, don't, you know, don't get carried away, right? But if I'm God and I have everything at my disposal, wouldn't it make sense that I would expect you to trust me for everything? That should be a realistic expectation that you would trust me. No different than when my kids were raised by my wife and I, for them to trust us for everything. That, that, that's... That's an expectation I could and should have. And I think the Lord is disappointed when we don't trust Him in everything. But He also understands that it's a process. It's a dwelling process and an abiding process so that we can trust Him and have faith because it pleases Him. I want to trust God. I want to have more faith because it will please Him. That's not a bad thing. And then ultimately he rewards that as well, as this verse says. It may go without saying, but the only way to develop our level of trust is what this psalm says. To dwell and to abide in him. We cannot trust what we do not know. Make sense? If I meet you for the first time and say, hi, my name's Mark, do you trust me? No doubt you would say no, and I would say why? And you would say what? I don't know you. How can I trust you if I don't know you? And so we do. We dwell and we abide so that we can trust. And God will revolutionize our life. And so we keep reading His Word because we get to know Him that way. We experience community as a church and home groups or whatever that is, men's groups and in the cafe, whatever. And we get involved in one another's lives so that we get to know Him more. And then over time, we trust Him more. We must learn to dwell so that we can eventually abide and have faith and trust in Him because it's pleasing to God and because God rewards it. Here's a tough question for us this morning. Really tough question. Do you sit here today, do I stand here today as one who can boldly proclaim that you fully trust in God? What a great question to wrestle with. 
fully. As Proverbs said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Which parts of our heart do we not trust God with? I'm wrestling with that myself. It's a great, great psalm for me. Keep dwelling. That's the key. Keep dwelling. Keep abiding. So that your trust will increase and your faith will increase. Dwell and abide in trust in who? Let's look again at verses 1 and 2. God gives four names to himself in these two verses. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, that's the first one, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, that's the second one. I will say to the Lord, that's the third one, my refuge and my fortress, my God, that's the fourth one. So we have Most High, we have Almighty, we have Lord, and we have God. As we dwell and we abide and and as we trust, we start to see the fullness of God and the different names that He has and the different attributes that He carries. The Most High, the first one, is Elyon, E-L-Y-O-N, Elyon. And it focuses on God's exaltedness, His authority. He's higher than any king on earth and any god of any other nation. Almighty is El Shaddai. And that focuses on God's absolute power, the all-sufficient God who is adequate in every situation. The Lord is Yahweh, focusing on His personal relationship with His people, the covenant-making God that makes the promises and fulfills every one of them. And then the word God is Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M, Elohim, which focuses on God's uh, origination and rulership of the universe. So as we dwell and abide and trust, we get to know all the different nuances of God and say, oh, He can do this and He can do that, and I've seen Him do this, and it's amazing. We just get a bigger and clearer picture of who He is the longer we dwell and abide and trust. Are these things difficult to do? On some level, yes. But what qualifications must you and I have to dwell and to abide and to trust? Do you need a seminary degree to do that? No, thank goodness. Do you need to have developed a wonderfully thought-out systematic theology to dwell and to abide and to trust? No. Do you need to have memorized all sorts of New and Old Testament Scripture? No. Praise the Lord. I'm thrilled to know that each and every one of us can dwell and abide and trust in God as equally as any other person to your left, to your right, behind you, or in front of you. And when we do... We just get to know the Lord better. Look at verse 14, and we'll get there later again, but in verse 14 of Psalm 91, he says, Because you get to that place where you've loved me, I will deliver you, set you securely on high, because what? Because you have known my name. And we get to know all the names and attributes of God, and then he will take care of us. We'll get to that later. When we get to experience those different attributes of God, we experience the shelter of the Most High, the shadow of the Almighty, that the Lord God is our refuge and fortress. He's our deliverer. He'll cover us. We can seek refuge in Him. He is a shield and a bulwark to us. Oh, oh church, I want to live like that. I want to live like that. And I trust that you do too. To be a Christian, is this not how God desires and expects us to live? Is it not how our Lord Jesus Christ lived? And so if He lived that way, if He dwelt and abided and trusted God completely, are we to think that it should be any different for us? 
of course not. Jesus, who was also fully man, had complete faith and trust in God. What about you? What about me? You don't have to turn there. Matthew 18, 1 through 4 says this. The disciples came to him and said, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> we like those kind of questions. It's just so silly. We're so guilty. And he called a child. Here's the object lesson. He sets it before his disciples. He says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So what is that? It's an unspoiled child has these characteristics. They trust. They depend. They have complete trust and complete dependence. And they desire to be pleasing. Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Isn't that amazing? God wants us to come to Him as His children. Trusting Him. Depending on Him. And being pleasing to Him. What a great challenge. Verse 5. Psalm 91, verse 5 through 10. We're going to plow through this pretty quick. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence, the destruction, the thousands, the ten thousands. Not, they will not approach you. You will only look on your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Only the wicked will be paid back. Verse 9, for you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High. You have made Him your dwelling place. No evil will befall you nor will any plague come near your tent. The key to these, this section, 5 through 10, two things. Starts off in verse 5. You will not be afraid. Why? In verse 9. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place. If you make the Lord, and when you make the Lord your dwelling place, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. And what I find interesting, and you may have noticed, it doesn't say that these dangers don't exist but that when we dwell, abide, and trust in the Lord, we don't need to be afraid of the dangers. It's tragic what happened in San Bernardino. It's tragic what happened in Paris. It's tragic. And more of that's coming. But are we to be afraid? I don't think so. I can only imagine if we were to pull all of our stories in life where fear played a role in our stories. The fear that prevented us from doing certain things. The fear that prevented us from being obedient because there's more fear than trust in God. God doesn't want us to live like that. Matthew 10, 28 says, Don't fear those who can kill the body only, but are unable to kill the soul. What are those things that the Lord would have for you and for me, for those we love, but fear keeps us from it? What does God have for us, for you and for me and for our loved ones? But fear keeps us from it. Each and every one of us has the ability to dwell, to abide, and to trust. When we do, when we can get to that place where we fully trust God, we can annihilate that fear that holds us back, that cripples us sometimes. What a great word. Verse 11, 12, and 13. He will give His angels charge concerning you. This is what was quoted in Matthew chapter 4, He will give His angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. For sure, we saw Jesus when He lived as one who dwelt and abided and trusted in His heavenly Father. And He still does. And we're to be no different. Jesus completely trusted in God. 
And because of this, we don't have any recollection of Jesus operating in fear. Ever. He was indeed, like these verses say, living a protected life. But always under the direction and the submission to God's will. We're to be no different. We don't need to be fearful, but not our will, but His will be done. So the opening verses in Psalm are so instrumental for the rest of the Psalm because in 5 through 10 we see things happening, but we can be protected. In 11 through 13, we see that the angels at times might protect us. And in verses 14 through 16, we see God Himself intervening in our lives. Let's turn to 14, 15, and 16 and wrap up there. Because He has loved me, this is the psalmist quoting God, God says, because you've loved me, therefore I will deliver you. I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. I will call, he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. All of us on some level are just trying to live a life that is satisfying. This is how we do it. We dwell, we abide, and we trust, and God will satisfy us. We talked about three words in verses 1 through 4, and I've been repeating them over and over and over, right? Dwell, abide, trust. Let me show you three more words here in these verses. Verse 14, because He has loved me. Ultimately, when we, when we dwell and abide and trust, we just fall in love with the Lord. Therefore, I will deliver Him. I will set Him securely on high because He has known my name. That's the second thing. We come to just love God and we get to know all about His name and His attributes and His characteristics. And then in verse 15, and then... From that point forward, He will call upon me. So, right? So we dwell and we abide and we trust. And then we love Him. And then we know Him by all His names and all of His attributes. And then we call upon Him for everything at all times. And so what does God do in, in, in finishing today's Psalm 91? Look at this, verse 14. Because He has loved me, He's going to do six things for us when we love Him and know Him and call upon Him. Look, because He has loved me, therefore, here's the first thing, I will deliver Him. Six I wills. Second one, I will set Him securely on high because He has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and honor Him. With a long life, I will satisfy Him. These are the same same things that the Lord did for Jesus Christ. And He does them for us. Each and every one of us can do these six words that I'm focusing on this morning. Every one of us can dwell. Every one of us can abide. Every one of us can trust. Every one of us can love. Every one of us can know. And every one of us can call upon this multifaceted, all-powerful, multi-named God. Every one of us can do that. Essentially, what I think God challenges and says to us is this in Psalm 91, Church, if you will, church, if you will dwell, if you will abide, if you will trust, if you will know me and call upon me and love me, if you will, I will. That's what those last four verses say, or three verses. If you will, I will. I don't have a choice. It's who I am. Psalm 91 recaps is this. The Lord hides us. We hide in Him, that He can help us so that He can send us back to serve Him in the struggles of life. What's really neat about this psalm is if the the psalmist was writing a letter, he has two addresses, two return addresses that are mentioned in Psalm 91. 
The first one is his tent in verse 10. You can look there later. And the second return address is the Lord in verses 1 and 9. That's where he lived. He lived in his tent, just like you and I live in a house, but he also lived in the Lord. Those were, that's where he lived. That's where the psalmist lived. He lived in a tent and he lived with the Lord. This hidden life of worship and communion makes possible the life of obedient service. And I'll conclude with this. Listen to this. This is so cool. As God's servants, we are immortal until our work is done. That's what Psalm 91 is really saying. Until our work is done, we're immortal. We're not to be foolish with that. That's what, that's what Satan was trying to do with Jesus, saying, hey, angels will watch over you. We're not to be reckless. That's not what it's saying. But we are immortal until our work is done. I love that. Before we close our time in prayer, I've ended a little bit early for a reason. I'd like to take this uh, moment to invite both Rob Selleck and Doug Atterbury up front. And while they're making their way up front, let me just tell you a few things. Um, most of you, if not all of you, know Rob Selleck um, already. He and his lovely wife, Beth, along with their two wonderful kids, Kaylin and Ethan, have been pillars at the Rock Community Church since we opened the doors 12 years ago. On the other hand, Doug Atterbury, along with his lovely wife, Kelly... I think there will be a picture showing up here pretty soon. And their two daughters, Allie and Emmy, they've been at The Rock for about eight months now. Many of you have met them, you've loved them, you've encouraged them, and you've recognized what a blessing they are to our church family, and we're very grateful for them. So thank you, church, for loving them well. Let me tell you real briefly about Doug Atterbury. My wife and I met Doug and Kelly a couple years ago, two, two and a half years ago, and they started attending the same church that we were at in downtown Fullerton. They had recently moved down from Lake Arrowhead, uh, Doug and Kelly were both on staff at a church up there at Kelly's uh, dad's church, mom and dad's church. But Doug had gotten a job at Biola. He was working on a seminary degree, which he's still working on it. And uh, anyway, so at the time, Terry and I had just started a home group at this church in downtown Fullerton. And they were new to the church and we invited them and we became instant friends and just fell in love with he and Kelly. And at the time it was just Allie and now they had Emmy last January or this past yeah, January, 11 months ago. About a year later after meeting them, so about one year ago from today, um, we told this group, this church in Fullerton, our, our home group that Doug was in, that we were leaving to go check out this church in, in Anaheim Hills and maybe consider a, a call to be in the senior pastor there. And uh, so I was going through my process with the leaders of this church, and somewhere around uh, March or April, while they were kind of winding me down, uh, Rob Selleck, along with uh, Pastor John and Pastor Dave and Brian Thompson, mentioned that they had been looking for some time for somebody to take over uh, student ministries and children's ministries and young adults and asked if I knew anybody. And uh, thankfully I did. Um, so after meeting with Rob and myself, uh, we sent Doug and Kelly to go meet with the elders. And needless to say, the elders absolutely fell in love with Doug's wife, Kelly. After realizing that she was not available, we're like, all right, tell us about your husband. Maybe he's hireable. <laughs> um, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. We, we still like Kelly more, but we like Doug almost as much. So I'm exaggerating, but not too much. Anyway, just teasing. All that to say, Doug's been on staff for a couple months now, getting familiar with the ministries that Rob and, and has been overseeing for many years. Additionally, as many of you have known, or witnessed, uh, Doug's been generous enough to share his teaching gifts with us on Wednesday morning at men's breakfast on occasion, and he spoke at Rock of Ages last month. 
And the elder board believes that Doug is qualified to be ordained as a pastor of this church. And um, that's what we're presenting to you today. I'll get into some details in a second, but I just wanted to turn things over to Rob Selleck for, for a minute. Thanks. Um, it's easy and a joy to talk about people like the Atterberries. We really do love Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> it's been kind of fun at all three services. <laughs> Um, they, they started partnering with us in ministry about 30 weeks ago, and um, it was awesome. From early on, you could just see, it was like your firsthand witness that he is passionate, that he's gifted, that he's talented, that he has a love beyond just what's normal. And it, what, what's been really awesome is watching the kids draw to Doug and Kelly. The, the fit is, is, is there. Um, I've shared with the other services, for me... I saw it real clear. It was probably, I don't know, maybe the fourth or fifth week. And on Wednesday nights, we do a, a small group together with some of the men. And um, it was cool how quick the young men adapted to Doug. And normally when they'd answer a question, they kind of look over at me to make sure, you know, like I'm on track. And, and I could see them start shifting over to Doug saying, like, you know, and start drawing from Doug. And, and for me, that was just a, a warm feeling. Um, so watching these guys, we've got to do... A bunch of Sunday mornings, a lot of midweeks. He was a speaker at our camp. He was a director and a speaker at one of our retreats. Um, we've done a bunch of activities. And I guess I, I want to tell you guys kind of firsthand, as somebody who really loves your children and this church, is what I've seen is um, these guys are just an awesome fit. It's kind of a funny thing, but about 10 years, well, we started about 10 years ago. I verified with Jenny last night um, in, in ministry, kind of overseeing the youth. And um, about three years ago, we realized that we wanted to start looking for somebody to maybe come in. We weren't in a hurry. We were willing to stay as long as possible. But we were thinking, oh, it'd be maybe the season of, uh, has come to find somebody. And with Doug, it's just not that he's a great fit. But for me, there's something else that I'm kind of looking for. And, and there's a fit within a church, too. There's, there's kind of like what I like to call like a DNA to the Rock Community Church. And that's what I'm really excited about because they, they have that. Um, so all in all, what I want to say is um, mostly thank you for allowing Beth and I to be a part of your guys' life, entrusting your kids with us. I see some of you that are part of 180 years ago. <laughs> um, good to see you. Um, but uh, really, I just want to stand before you as somebody that does really love your kids, love your families, and uh, just kind of give my recommendation and my excitement. Uh, looking back, all the joy that we have, we kind of share that looking forward Beth and I will remain in the ministries, but we just get a transition to a new season, and we're excited to kind of fall under the leadership of Doug and Kelly now moving forward. So thanks for letting me share. Love you guys. Um, thank you guys very much. Appreciate that. As is our process, as many of you know, maybe you don't know, for ordaining either an elder or a pastor. Before we do, we, we introduce them like we've just done. Uh, we introduce the candidate and we invite the church to contact myself or any of the other elders um, to let us know if you believe there's any reason why Doug should not be uh, a pastor of our church. And so we ask you to do that by three weeks from today, by December 27th, Sunday. And assuming that everything checks out, um, we will be ordaining Doug on January 16 and 17. That will be the weekend after um, Dan and Lori Frost, who will be guest speaking from Washington, D.C. So that will be three weeks after the December 27 uh, deadline. So 
Anyway, uh, we give the Lord all the praise and glory. God just is, He's blessing this church. And um, Doug and I have had many a laugh over the last eight months since he's come on board, and just on the heels of me coming on board, and just how the Lord put our lives together and, and let us both hear. And we look back and we just see how God has orchestrated all of this. It's just nothing short of a miracle. We're so grateful for them because they are God's provision for this church. So I'm humbled by that. So we praise God for his continued blessing. We praise him for Doug and Kelly and their beautiful little girls, Allie and Emmy. Rob, Doug, thank you so much. Let me close our time in prayer. I'm going to quote again from the Proverbs, and then I'm going to pray that Proverbs. And uh, so pray with me. Church, we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Gracious Father, it is our deepest need and desire to trust in You with all of our heart. Show us those parts of our heart that struggle to trust You, and forgive us. Far too often we lean on our own understanding, even though we know you have the best in mind for us. Somehow, Father, we continue to believe that we know best. Please forgive us. Help us to acknowledge you in all of our ways, for when we do, you make our path straight. When we don't acknowledge you in some way, please forgive us. Lord, we love you. Help us to trust you more. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.